Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and I'm a piece of crap. Okay. <laughs> but I'm singing a song and nobody cares because I'm distracting them and everyone here is also a piece of crap and there are no consequences. You're a piece of crap and you sing a song and you climb the corporate ladder. Man, that just went on and on and on, didn't it? <laughs> kind of like this movie felt oh, to me. Okay, well, a preview <laughs> wow. of Jason's thoughts on the movie we're about to talk about. We are at the season finale of our season on the films of 1967. And as we always do in our season finale, we offered up an audience choice poll, asked you, our wonderful listeners, which movie we should talk about among three similar choices. And uh, this time around, we talked about stage to screen adaptations. And the movie that you all chose was How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying the adaptation of the hit Broadway musical written and directed for the screen by David Swift. Also an adaptation from the Shepard Mead book, 1952, a bestseller. Yes, indeed. So the book was adapted into the musical, which was then adapted into the movie, which is now being talked about on the podcast. Right. And of course, there have been revivals of this as well. So yes, you know. and maybe someone will revive our podcast. Ah, uh, <laughs> someone should. So or Dave's dead dog that's watching. Oh this. man, we didn't need to get that in there. Uh, Josh, the other choice so stage to screen. We had this. We had Barefoot in the Park, and we had we had the turn of the um, the Taming of the Shrew, not the turn of the screw. Yeah, that's and I, I I think Dave I Dave infected too. me yeah. by getting confused. No, the Taming of the Shrew. Uh, the Shakespeare adaptation, of course, with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Yes, I've seen that. I, I have not seen Barefoot in the Park, but it's Redford and Neil Simon. So yeah, it's gonna be a fun movie, right? Uh, hopefully, we talk. You know, we talked about Neil Simon in our 1977 yeah. season when we talked about the Goodbye Girl. So my point is, what happened, audience? You guys are usually so good. What did you do to us this time? Why? And, and this was a clear winner. Uh, you know, uh, we don't get a huge number of votes, but uh, amongst the votes that we got, this was this was definitely the obvious front runner. It was not as close as it's been in the past. I'm disappointed in you guys and gals. Oh, right. I expect so, more from you. I did not like this Jason. Film, definitely, gosh. clearly, did not like this coming movie. out swinging. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And it's well, it's interesting that I I think. We were putting together this poll and we had discussed a few other ideas for this. And my sort of argument in favor of these choices was we want to give people movies that they're familiar with that are popular. But this movie actually was not popular when it came out, which was extra strange because the, the play had been a massive hit. Yeah, you've defeated your own argument. You're like a snake that eats its own head um, or ass. OK, you're an ass eating snake, man. I think no, but my point is that it's it's become like now it is well known. It is obviously people voted. We for all it. knew it. We all yeah, knew it. yeah. But at the time, I guess it was actually not a success. I mean, even though the the uh, stage production was very successful and very well known, the film didn't really do very well. Producers paid all this money for the rights, and it was going to be a big deal. But then it only grossed uh, two point nine million dollars on its budget of three point five million, so couldn't even make that back yeah, at the and, box office. And of that three point five, a million were just for the rights. Right? Yeah. I mean, this was clearly a hot, hot property, a, a a big commodity at the time, 
that people were eager to adapt. And of course, they tried to capitalize on that by casting a bunch of actors who'd appeared in the stage version. Uh, Robert Morse, who is the main star as uh, J. Pierpont Finch. Ponty. Ponty. Uh, was the original star, Rudy Valley, who plays his boss, Mr. Big Lee, also part of the original uh, Broadway cast. And then Michelle Lee and Maureen Arthur, who play a couple of the uh, lady supporting roles. Really, really well-drawn characters, these women. Um, they were also <laughs> in the Broadway production, not in the original cast, but in later casts, as it ran for 1,417 performances uh, over the course of four years on Broadway won seven Tony Awards, and the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. And the New York Drama Critics Circle Award. Yeah, uh, it's like one of very few plays to do that, uh, directed by Frank Lesser. Book written by Abe Burroughs, Jack Weinstock, William Gilbert, and of course the music staged by the dancing stage by Mr. Bob Fosse, Jazz Hands. Yes. And Frank Lesser, did he direct it to? He wrote the songs. But... I don't know, Josh. I just wrote down his name. Leave me alone. Okay, no, I think he's just the, the songwriter, not mm -hmm. the director. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but this is definitely one of those examples of something that's a huge thing in pop culture. And it's like, we got to make this a movie. And then nobody showed up for some reason. In the Heights. <laughs> Man, Jason's just tearing stuff apart. But critics overall were into it. I mean... They had, uh, you know, the play had been critically acclaimed and a lot of critics seemingly had seen the play, of, especially, of course, New York-based critics. Bosley Crowther in the New York Times. Whose name sounds like he's a character in this. It does. It really play. does. But yeah. he's an actual person, a critic for the New York Times. Uh, he said, nothing has happened in five years to diminish the suitability or the sting of how to succeed in business without really trying, as it was originally done on the Broadway stage. And certainly David Swift has done nothing to diminish the wit, the sparkle, and the zing of the musical show in transferring it into the movie. Using the freedom of the camera, Mr. Swift has caught some very pretty things with New York as his color-drenched setting. The hustle and bustle in the streets, the views from the tops of skyscrapers, and shots of the skyline at dawn. He maintains a lively tempo, and his dances, though minimal, are good. Indeed, we'll wait long for a better musical film than How to Succeed. Uh, I was almost like in the middle. I was like, you're right. But it, like if it was a sandwich, I'd throw the bread out. Each side of that critique is wrong, Josh. It does look good. The colors are very nice. And New York is a perfect setting. And it is hustly and bustly. Mm. But uh, I don't think you have to wait very long for a better musical. And nor do I. It didn't really. I, I mean, I guess. This had like some type of edge to it in 1967, so much so that they said that the Ponty character, you know, they had to tone it down for film because he was so edgy on stage. And uh, I did not get that from the Robert Morse performance at all. But uh, I don't know. I just uh, did you agree with this as far as the story goes or? Um, I mean, I think he's, you know, maybe being a little overzealous in terms of his praise here, but I, I liked this movie overall and i clearly didn't dislike it nearly as much as you did even if i didn't love it so lee marvin um, sorry, sorry, oh man bitch. lee marvin is not this happy is the with last me. time i'm gonna make an appearance this season i gotta see <laughs> lee marvin sing and paint your wagon instead or something that would i be think fun, yeah i'm so. sure that would be enjoyable so no i mean and i can see how it would have an edge to it i mean it is a corporate satire i mean whether or not you think that it succeeds it's clearly trying to sort of take down the idea of, of big business and all of that stuff in the character of Ponty, 
who is, I mean, I think you were, you were mocking this in your uh, excellent opening song. Yeah, that was, good. <laughs> that was very good on my Yeah, part. but I think he's meant to be terrible. And the people overall in this movie are meant to be terrible because they're emblematic of the kinds of people who succeed in corporations. Yeah, I get that. I guess this is one of those things where like, you don't have to, it's weird. Cause like, you know, they're always like, well, who do you, who, who do you like in this movie? And I'm like, you don't have to like anyone, but there has to be something that you're rooting for. And I didn't root for anyone in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that even. I think you want to be interested in what the characters will do. Okay. That, that, then there you go. I was not engaged by that. Right. No, and, that, and that's fair. But, but I, I do think the point here and I don't know, you know, I haven't seen the stage production. I don't know what what edge Ponty has in that that they tone down here. But I do think the point is that he's sort of a sociopath. And and that's kind of the idea here is that that's how you become a success in business is to be that kind of person. I didn't think he was a sociopath at all. He just, you know, climbed the court. It wasn't American Psycho where he murdered all these people. No, but he end, could so. have. I would have believed it if he had. I mean, sure, he had murderous eyes, but no, um, no, he was it, like I said, the whole thing just felt very declawed to me, much like Dave's dead dog, who's oh, lost his nails years ago. They just fell out. Leprosy. Dave's dog is leprosy. Move on to the next review. We Josh. don't need that. He's doing quite well. By the <laughs> we way. don't need that there. Come on. <laughs> Penelope Houston in The Spectator was also very positive about it. She said how to succeed in business without really trying is a rather unmodern musical effortlessly constructed around the gnome-like presence of Robert Morse and the ploys which convert his watchful window cleaner into chairman of the board of the Worldwide Wicket Company. It's perhaps slightly nervous in tone. The great American solemnity about success can't altogether be shaken off, but at least as funny as the old gamesmanship routines and amiably dedicated to the proposition that any true company man is a rabbit in weasel's clothing. David Swift directs in a plain, bouncing rhythm. Rudy Valley is engagingly unhinged as a company president, happiest when knitting. And Robert Morse surveys his scene of operations with a gloating, wide-eyed stare suggestive of a pixie drunk on Coca-Cola. So, <laughs> I, 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 so what world are we living in, man? This maybe if this was like out in 1952, I could see like, you know, the edginess of that. But this is 1967. What is happening here? I just don't understand where all these critics are coming from, where it's, you know, uh, you know, uh, the edge and the and then he's uh, he's drunk on Coca-Cola like he's got he's like a bad boy. He's like the least, you know, he's got nothing. There's nothing to this character. I mean, I don't think she's saying he's a bad boy. I think she's saying this this uh, performance is a bit manic, which I would buy into even if you don't like it i think i mean well I, what did she say rudy valley well yeah rudy valley she said he was uh unhinged which was maybe a little uh, he's a little not, much there yeah so. that's a little much but i do think robert morse's performance is meant to be this this sort of almost unhinged character this i mean the the hinges must have been very loose at this point if this is all it took for him to get unhinged all right fair enough well, maybe you will uh, appreciate this uh, typically uh, cynical review from Andrew Saris in The Village Voice, who also kind of liked it, but in a backhanded way. He said, how to succeed in business without really trying allows a vulgarly untalented director like David Swift the opportunity to demonstrate how to succeed in movie making without really trying. 
Actually, if Swift had tried any harder to, quote, cinematize this Broadway hit, he would have ruined everything. How many shots of the New York skyline can we take, this side of Andy Warhol's empire? Fortunately, most of the show is a straight recording of Robert Morse's Machiavellian roguery, and the masses will enjoy drifting from the upright posture of, quote, satire to the lolling lasciviousness of wish fulfillment, another moral film for the entire family. You know, Andrew Serres just makes me want to punch him in the face. I see. I thought you would agree with him. <laughs> By the way, if you're not familiar, Andy Warhol's Empire is a eight hours, uh, right? I think um, it's 24 hour yeah. just static shot of the Empire State Building. Yeah, yeah. What a genius! So uh, I think he's saying there were too many shots of. Uh, I like buildings. the I like the building shots. Yeah. All right. And Andy Warhol is a genius, but that doesn't mean everything he did was genius. Right. Yeah. Well, no. I but I mean, I think what he's pointing out is actually something that maybe you're saying is that, you know, he's putting satire and quote marks and saying that it's going to appeal to the masses, implying here that this is not really satirical, that this really doesn't have any kind of bite, you know? So from his perspective, this is, you know, his perspective in sort of the counterculture, as opposed to old Bosley Crowther, yeah. you know, he's saying there's not really much to this. Yeah, I still want to punch him in the face, but I like apologize afterwards. <laughs> okay. But no, but that this is the one thing I was kept thinking, like, this is so interesting that this was the audience pick because 1967, we keep talking about how this is the year film moved forward by leaps and bounds. And this is still such a throwback, you know? Right. Well, I mean, you know, the audience picked what we offered them to pick and, and we didn't engender. Any... Stop, stop defending the audience, Josh, <laughs> move on. I'm just saying that those other choices are not necessarily revolutionary films. either. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about revolutionary. I'm just talking about uh, not even of that, like time period, it feels like, you know, this feels like when you did Down With Love, which was a throwback to those Doris Day Rock Hudson movies. Did you not feel like this could have Yeah, been there's that? some of that in that. I mean, then those Doris Day Rock Hudson movies are from, I think, 64? the early 60s. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's only a few years before this. So it's not surprising that, you know, not every movie is, you know, making these giant leaps, that there's still other kinds of movies being made. No, I know. Uh, clearly, I just did not connect with this at all. Clearly not. So I assume you had never seen this before. No, I never saw it before. And I, yeah. I'll never see it again. And I what, don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe in 10 years, I'll watch it and be like, man, I was totally wrong about that thing. Yeah, so. I don't know. Uh, and and you're, you're like a musical theater guy. Did you ever see this on stage? No, but that's the thing. I mean, I do love musical theater, um, you know, and uh, I like musicals. So, and I like the colors of this film. Yeah. And I love Bob Fosse. Right. And I think he's like, Bob Fosse is one of the greatest directors there ever was. He only made five movies, but like three times he was nominated for best director of those five. Right. Like, and he won one in 73. So I don't know. I don't know what happened here. It just, uh, it just felt like I was watching different iterations of the same scene over and over again. And I did not like the scene or the people in them. All right. David, you ever seen this before? I had not, and I was looking forward to it, and I liked it. All right. Good. Well, that's, I, I Good. appreciate a little support there. No, I, 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 I didn't I, love it. Yeah, I'm glad you guys liked it. Yeah. You never saw it before either. No, right? no, I had never seen it before, nor, nor had I seen it on stage. I was, you know, vaguely familiar. And I think, again, putting together this audience choice poll, it was like, oh, I know what, I've heard of that. That'll be something that people will know. And that was really my only impression of it. Yeah. So you're saying our audience has never heard of The Taming of the Shrew or- No, no, no. I, just, I meant along with the other things, you okay. know, this seemed like one, because I think we had 
one other option that we were going to maybe throw in there and we didn't because it wasn't well known because it wasn't i think as well known and so we went with these that i knew people would recognize and that was kind of my impression of it as well Well, you really have low standards for our audience which i would usually take you for task for but since they chose this they deserve it all right well thanks for listening (laughs) we'll come back in a moment and insult our audience more and talk about our general thoughts on how to succeed in business without really trying Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this season finale of our season on the films of 1967, we're talking about our audience choice poll winner, the musical extravaganza, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And uh, Jason, you hated this and you hate our listeners. Explain. I don't hate the listeners, guys. I'll give you all a hug. I just don't like this movie. And uh, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, my biting satire is on you today. My vicious claws of language and humor. No, I don't hate you guys. Of course not. You picked it. It's fine. I just didn't like it. And I think it has to start with Robert Morse, who is a very acclaimed actor, you know, all the way up until the last decade and everything. And I think he won a Tony for this as well. He won a Tony for this. Yeah. Among the seven Tonys that this won. I don't understand how this is a character. It's not, there's nothing real. And like, let me first say it's a musical. There's a heightened world. I get that. But like nothing felt like a choice that I would want any human being to make, not just in the writing, but in the performance. And like, I don't know. It was just like a cartoon man in a world and like you know it's fine if your main character is a little wacky and wild but like there was nothing against it to ground it so i was just like i mean for two hours i'm watching this guy and he's a piece of crap as a human being you have to admit the character right no and i think that's again i think that's on purpose right but no one ever takes him to task for being a piece of crap because they're all also pieces of crap. right but though okay so then maybe rosemary's not yeah no maybe rosemary isn't and i think rosemary who is his love interest and i think that's the weakest part of the movie is that it tries to have it sort of both ways in that this these characters are terrible people and yet it tries to have this sort of traditional romance. Yeah, it. and she supports him no matter what. And um, just, yeah, there was nothing here that like made me care about any of them or like feel like there was ever going to be any consequences for anybody that we were that we were supposed to care about. Like, so, it. I mean, like I said, I like the colors. Obviously, some of the, you know, staging of the musicality is fun. Some of the songs are okay, but like, it lost me so fast. Like, and I was just like, what, man, it was a struggle to get through for me. All right. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with everything you're saying. I, again, I think the love story here is, is weak. And I know one of the things they did in moving this from uh, stage to screen, they always end up having to pare these musicals down because they're always really long and there's no intermission in the movie. And they cut all of Rosemary's songs. Yeah. And so maybe there's more to her in a stage version where she gets to have some solo numbers um, and here it just felt like this sort of obligation, like, oh, we have to have a love story because that's what you have in this in a musical. And it doesn't work because your main character is, as you say, essentially a cartoon. And this movie, I feel like the way to look at this movie is as, as a sort of live action cartoon. You know, Robert Morris, to me, like Space Jam, much like Space Jam, <laughs> Um Right. You know, not 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 that kind of cartoon, but like like a like a, a political cartoon or something, a satirical cartoon. You know, it's not for kids is not that's not what I mean. 
but that it's 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 broad and it's exaggerated and I, I felt like Robert Morse was almost channeling Jerry Lewis in his performance. Yeah, there was definitely a Jerry Lewis feel to that, but Jerry Lewis had someone to ground him right next to him for most of those performances. Right? Yeah, I'm I'm not really a fan of Jerry Lewis. Um, so I actually, but you liked Robert Morse in this. I did like him. I mean, I definitely think it's it's a big performance and it's a ridiculous character, but I feel like for what it's meant to be, I think he did well with it. I was interested in what was going to happen to the character. Even though, yes, you're absolutely right. He's a terrible person. I mean, the plot here, he acquires this book, the How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying book, and follows all of its instructions in order to climb the corporate ladder at the Worldwide Wicket Company very, very fast. I mean, the whole movie takes place over the course of, like, what, a few days, maybe, at most? A couple of weeks. Or yeah, something. a very short amount of time. Uh, I mean, he starts as a window washer and then literally walks inside the window and uh, takes off his jumpsuit and applies for a job in the mailroom and he's a junior executive by what later that day or the next day or yeah. something. So it's a satire of that idea of self-help books of corporate culture and is presenting him as the kind of person who is, he's completely amoral. He is devious. He is more than willing to lie and commit fraud. And that's who succeeds in business. And it all works out for him at every chance. But at the same time, he's got this quote unquote romance with Rosemary. And as advanced and methodical as he is with the business side, he seems to not understand like anything about what dating is at all. Right. And like, um, yeah, it's just like what, what kind of idiot savant is this guy? You know, like I just didn't buy any of that. And I mean, you know, he's got this nemesis of sorts who is you know anthony t who played bud from yes right? who is the nephew of the boss the yeah, president Mr. Bigley. Bigley. and yeah. i think i mean morse and and teague must have had a conversation was like i could eat more scenery than you <laughs> like none of these performances felt like they were anywhere except to like you know spotlight 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 to me right i mean did did this bud from character give you any type of antagonistic feel that he was ever a threat to your protagonist here well i mean a little maybe but i think part of the point there is that bud frump is not the schemer that ponty is that he relies on one thing that he's the boss's nephew to get himself ahead and when someone comes in who's on to him and his very basic scheme and who has their own more sophisticated scheme he's just completely flustered yeah but i think we've seen that character that nepotism, you know, I'm going to have it easy because my family runs this thing. Bad guy done better in other pieces where it's like, at least he is able to get the upper hand once in a while. Yeah, no, maybe so. I mean, there is the, the sort of sequence towards the end where he tricks Ponty into presenting this advertising scheme that he knows the boss will hate. And he, you know, appears to have gotten the upper hand and then Ponty manages to turn it around even by using the idea that Bud has given him. Yeah. Um, but you're right. He's he's sort of a toothless uh, nemesis. But also, again, as you said, this isn't American Psycho. I mean, this is a it's a bright, colorful, uh, silly musical. Sure. But uh, with that, the performance here, if, you know, Morse was drunk on Coca-Cola, this guy was like drunk on apple juice or something like that. I mean, they're also bubbly and not like have you ever met any human like any of the people in this 
No, but again, I think that's the point. I don't think there's meant to. Well, I mean, Rosemary has some naturalistic moments, but I don't think there's meant to be any naturalism in this film. Yeah, I just I mean, I guess if that's the case, you have to, you know, care about something. I just didn't care about anything. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I definitely felt like it dragged, especially in the middle as we kind of get the idea like, OK, this is what he's doing. And then he still has to kind of take all the steps to move up the ladder. And I did feel like the romance was completely useless. I, I didn't love it. And I think, you know, part of it is in terms of the pacing is that this happens a lot with these adaptations from Broadway musicals, which are always very long. And again, they have an intermission and it's tough to pare them down properly to make a two hour film that, that keeps the pace up. But overall, like the first half I thought was really fun and I thought it was funny and I liked the 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 corporate satire of it um you know i i really it's coming from 1967 and maybe this this perspective on corporations seems a little quaint to us now that we've had decades of cynicism about them but it wasn't in every movie like this at the time it's just so odd to me that you trashed our beloved dave and his pick the producers which you know a lot of the points you're making in favor of this you just just destroyed Dave and his self-worth for that one. And I, f I feel the, the exact same thing you're saying right now could be reversed, too. Like, I think it's funny. This right, is you basically love the producers. A, yeah. I, I like the producers. Yeah. I think it's very much. So why much does it work there, but not here? Because I do think they're fairly I, similar. Well, I think it's much more effective, and there's no one who can who's nearly as good as Gene Wilder yeah, I mean, of or course. Mel Brooks, yeah. you know, what he's capable of. And I think the songs, although less in the... Not that I didn't like all the songs here, but, like, you know, they just got repetitive to me, you know, um, but I thought the songs and the staging were way better than the producers. And Learned. so some of the staging was fun in this. I know, mean, so. I disagree about the staging. I mean, that was one of the things when we talked about the producers that other than that one musical number, to me, that movie is very blandly staged um, yeah. as a film. And I think the one thing David Swift does do well here is that it didn't feel to me like, oh, this is so stage bound or whatever. I felt like he cinematized it as Andrew Sarah says well and I liked the way the musical numbers were presented I mean I, I like the way the musical numbers were I mean and the big the the other thing I liked was when uh Ponty was walking down the busy streets of New York and there was a lot of hidden cam stuff and you know that was like real New Yorkers he was passing but even that I was like who walks like this nobody walks like this and like what and there, one scene he's chasing Rosemary and he like does a skip and I'm like, no one would do this. this is, you're just you're just like trying to like constantly say, I'm over here. Everybody look at me, you know, and it's like the, the same problem you had with Zero Mistel and that I have with Robert Morse than this. I guess I just like that better. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think one one thing about this movie is that, you know, that's kind of what all the characters are doing. Here. Yeah. He's not the only one playing it that way. I think, you know, if it was him doing that in a cast full of subdued performances, I think it would be a lot more irritating. Now, by the way, I'm never defending Dave again. <laughs> no, I think you had a, you made a fair point and that the, those movies do do similar things. And now I'm imagining this movie with Gene Wilder in the Robert Morris role, and I well, think that would have been, been much, great. So much better. Yeah. So. But uh, I, I will say related to the musical numbers, I, as much as I enjoyed them, that this is a famous musical and yet there aren't any big famous songs necessarily that kind of transcend this. Like there's a lot of musicals, especially older musicals, but maybe I'm not familiar and I'll watch it and they'll get to some song and I'll realize, oh wait, 
this is that song is from this, yeah. you know, but it's sort of become its own thing. And that's not it. There's well, nothing here. I like liked that. when they use like the scene, the stuff in the when they pitch perfect, if you will, you know, like used what's around them, like staplers to make background noises in that. I thought that was fun. And, you know, but um, I just I just felt like everyone was mugging at, at every shot. And I mean, Rudy Valley was fine, but he had nothing, you know, and like like that character had nothing to it. And Michelle Lee, like poor her, you know, <laughs> like. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and especially having played it on stage and then to get to the movie and realize they've cut all her numbers. I mean, that's got to be a frustrating experience. Yeah. Now, Robert Morse, Josh, you know, I like the alternative casting, you know. OK. So, um, I mean, so they wanted to go to Dick Van Dyke, who would that would have been seven because dick van dyke has never mugged or uh drawn attention to himself in a musical or anything (laughs) like that yeah but are you gonna say robert morse is as good here as dick van dyke and mary poppins yeah i actually find dick van dyke and mary poppins quite annoying there you go you've just um you've just proven what a numbskull you are josh well Um, i mean this is not the first time i've done that i'm sure yeah so no i just didn't like any of them and um, obviously that's that's just how i have to say uh, I just have to be honest with you here, Josh. Um, I appreciate the honesty. I, I want to talk about two songs. Okay? okay. Let's talk about a secretary is not a thing. Yeah, a toy, toy or whatever. Yeah. That is definitely <laughs> see. And actually going into this, uh, especially based on one letterbox review that I read, I was like, Oh, this is going to be so sexist. And weirdly overall, the movie was less sexist than I expected. And even had a few moments where the female characters kind of, stand up for themselves or they they satirize the corporate culture of you know sort of sexual harassment before that was a thing but yeah that whole secretary is not a toy number is not a really a satire of sexism it it just it straight up is sexism and in fact was removed in the revivals of the play Hmm, interesting that they did remove it i think yeah no no no, no, no. so good wait no i take that back i think there's another sexist song that isn't in the movie but was in the play Hmm. um that comes later that was removed in the stage version. It must have yeah. been real bad. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a song. I'm trying to remember. I was reading this where the other secretaries are singing to Rosemary about how lucky she is that she'll be able to marry an executive and become his housewife. Oh. So, yeah, which is that's not in the movie. But I think that was replaced in the later. I mean, stage that's versions. I could go for that goal. If you've <laughs> yeah. been an executive for me and I could just I mean, housewives do a lot of work. Let's they do. Be honest. They do. Uh, I would more be like a houseboy and I would just watch the house while my wife went and executive all day. How about the last number, Josh, where like everyone is like, hey, Ponty, you screwed up and you're horrible and this whole company is horrible and then everyone's horrible. And then he's like, yes, but we're in a fraternity of men. And then like the chairman of the board is like, yeah, we're in a fraternity of men. You know what? Everything works out for everybody. I was like, this is the least effective argument to get us from. uh, We just dug ourselves a huge hole of shit that we're in to like now everything's fine. Well, I mean, again, I think the point is that Ponty is able to distract them with a bunch of platitudes that mean nothing. Uh, I just I just didn't buy into it. I did like the guy who played the chairman of the board, though. He had a nice voice and was an interesting physical presence. Yeah, so and who also plays uh, Twimble, yeah. the head of the mailroom in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, he was good. That yeah. guy was good. And All right. you could see like he cared more about acting in the scene than just being the star of everything. Maybe so. But and I, I quite like that number that Twimble sings about being a company man. I yeah. thought that was, that was, you know, and that's early in the film. 
And that's the second, I think, musical number. And the first one, which is the, the like theme song is fine. But that one got me thinking, okay, this has some bite to it. This is clever. I enjoyed that perspective on the idea of just doing everything that the company says and, and being so cheerful about it and stuff. So uh, I, I agree. Credit to that guy whose name we obviously don't know. Yeah, I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. Uh, anyway, like, I don't want to look you uh, at this point. If I keep going, I'm going to be as repetitive as this film. So mm -hmm. I leave the floor to you, Josh, and to idiot Dave. Dave, did you, uh, what did you like about anything about this movie that we didn't talk about that you liked? I mean, nothing else really, but just to, you know, echo what you were saying. I mean, it is, it is, you know, a cartoon. It's, it's a, a live action cartoon. Basically it's super slapstick. You can see Bugs Bunny playing this to bring back Space Jam, but right. uh, you know, yeah, that it's, that's what this movie is meant to be taken as I think. Yeah. And David Swift had a background in animation. Sure. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying no, your argument's wrong. I'm just saying it wasn't an effective version of that for me. Yeah, no, no. That, that's that's fair. And obviously not for a lot of audiences at yeah. the time who didn't show up for it. But people now, I guess, our listeners, if you voted for this movie, uh, let, let us, let us this, know so. and uh, give Jason your uh, Yeah, 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 please. Let us know all the things that I'm wrong about. Obviously, you can find us everywhere. Awesome movie year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome movie pod on Twitter. And of course... Uh, those are the three. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome movie or not. And, and, you know, or, or uh, harass Jason directly. You, know, you can. That, that Jason Harris well. Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com. Horrible website. Don't, you didn't, I don't think they can comment on your website about this. It's very bad, my website. Is it as bad as this movie? Yes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's rate this thing. Let's do that. How you want to rate this out of five uh, business advice books or sure, something? Sure. Fine. I mean, Let's... Wickets is the obvious Wickets, one, right? Yeah. yeah. Wickets, of course, which are non-existent. Yeah. Five secretaries who have human worth. So. Yeah. I did like, I will, I will say also related to the secretaries, I liked Smitty. The, the sort of nerdy-ish perspective. She role. offered nothing. Yeah, so. I, I thought she offered enough that I was like, oh, I wish that she had done more. That she has the, right. the one song where she's kind of in between Ponty yeah. and Rosemary encouraging them to express her whole, their feelings. Her whole purpose is to make sure that her friend who has a crush on this man who's an idiot uh, gets closer to this man who's an idiot. She's trying to help her friend get what she wants. I, you're right. That's what I said. I agree. So, All right. What do you want to rate this, Jason? Uh, two. It gets two secretaries from me. One of the worst films we've watched in all of Awesome Movie. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it three secretaries. Again, I didn't love it. And I felt like it kind of dragged on after a while. But I overall had a nice little time with it. So, Dave? I'm also going with three. Okay. I'm the outlier here, guys. Yeah, so you I'm not, are. And I'm not, uh, you know, that's okay. I'm okay with being the outlier on All this right. one. Well, so. we'll come back then and talk about the legacy of how to succeed in business without really trying. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this finale of our season on the films of 1967, we've been talking about the audience choice poll winner, how to succeed in business without really trying. And while this movie wasn't much of a success, the play had been such a huge success that the movie didn't really represent any sort of like stumbling block there. The play was revived multiple times 
after its original run with a lot of big names in it. Yeah. And if we had combined in the big names over the years into this, maybe I would have liked the movie. Yeah. Um, what, but, what is uh, your dream I, cast well, of, of, of people? So it was okay. in 1995, uh, originally with Matthew Broderick as Ponty and uh, Megan Mullally as uh, Rosemary. Rosemary yeah. And then later John Stamos took over as Ooh. Ponty and Sarah Jessica Parker took over as Rosemary. And uh, in the touring version, Ralph Macchio took yeah. over as as Ponty. Those are the big names from that that version. So uh, any of those that you would have yeah. preferred? Yeah. Um, well, no, go through the rest of them. Okay. So and then the, the other main revival was in, in 2011, starting with uh, Daniel Radcliffe as Ponty, uh, along with John Laroquette as Bigley, who won a Tony. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe eventually replaced by Darren Chris as Ponty, and then later by Nick Jonas, and then Laroquette replaced by Bo Bridges as Bigley. Hmm. So those are the big names there. And you, Roger Bart was in the touring one as From. Oh, yeah, there you go. So, and then, of course, the, the we didn't mention this as a book voice narration that kind of gets us through. Walter Cronkite was the book voice in the 95, 96, and Anderson Cooper in 2011. So if I'm putting this together, mm -hmm. I'm going to have, I'm going to go with and I don't care if they were a couple or not, because I want the sparks either way. Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. And I guess it's Larry Kett is my choice there. I guess. Yeah. I mean, in the 95, I just wrote down the the, the people who are, are well known. I think, you know, there's a lot of other, I'm sure, very talented Broadway actors, yeah. but not, not famous people. Well, so I'll go with John Larry Kett and sorry, Roger Bart, you do not get the part because of the 1961 original. Frump was played by Charles Nelson Riley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the only, you know, they, for whatever reason, didn't try to get him for the film. Why wouldn't you? What a huge mistake. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. You know, having seen the producer's musical, I don't want to see Matthew Broderick in any musical. So. But that's how he became so famous. You realize that, right? Well, right. Like, no, I do. Well, as, as, in, the in, 80s. in terms of... Uh, in the 80s for the producers? No, in the 80s as a stage actor and okay. in musical. Brighton yeah. Beach Memoirs and stuff like that. Is, is Brighton Beach Memoirs a musical? I don't know, but he was in other stuff then too. Yeah. He was uh, a New York stage actor. Right, right. I mean, I, I, I've liked him in a lot of things, but I just feel like that musical was bad. So Yeah, um, that wasn't a good... I mean, the stage version was good, but much like this, the film version, not, not for me. Not However, right. you know who is for me. Charles Nelson Riley. Mm -hmm. I do like Charles Nelson <laughs> Riley. So, I mean, this is obviously a, a, a sort of a perennial Broadway favorite. You could see it being revived again. Yeah, I would think it would be revived again uh, soon. And I think this movie where it didn't make money, I'm sure it ran on TV like all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, reflected in sort of the audience interest and the awareness, like even if this wasn't a success at the time, it's become one of the sort of canon of well-known musicals at this point yeah so shepherd me josh you know how many how-to books he wrote how many he wrote this one he wrote how to get rich in tv without really trying how to succeed with women without really trying how to live like a lord without really trying how to succeed at business spying by trying how to stay medium young practically forever without really trying how to get to the future before it gets to you and how to succeed in tennis without really trying that many Wow, and he really milked it. And those weren't those weren't like actual self help books. They're like satirical, yeah, fake like, self help, books. like Dwarf on God right, or something yeah. like that. I mean, hey, look, it obviously worked for him, 
And he followed his own advice and succeeded in books without really trying (laughs) by just writing the same book over and over again. You nailed that one. I mean, and I've, look, I clearly didn't like these, uh, the talent that was in this or what they did in this. David Swift created and directed the Parent Trap, the original, and wrote the Lindsay Lohan script. So like, cool, good for you. Robert Morris is, uh, he's got like multiple Tonys. He's been up for Emmys, you know, like, he won for playing Truman Capote and front page revival with Nathan Lane and John Slattery and John Goodman and Holland Taylor played Dominic Dunn on people versus OJ Simpson. And of course, Mad Men, that's probably where most people know. him. Right. Yeah. And did, were you a fan of Mad Men? Jason? No, I didn't know him from that because, uh, but I'll go back and look. At yeah. It. Mad Men is great. And I, that was certainly where I saw him first and uh, in his sort of final appearance on Mad Men. Oh, no spoilers. Uh, well, I'm just saying his character does a like song and dance number. Oh, that's good. Um, that is reminiscent of his Broadway background. Yeah. I mean, the character in general does not sing or dance. He plays Burt Cooper, who's one of the owners of the advertising agency, the main uh, advertising agency on the show, and is kind of a little um, eccentric and a little out of it at times and is not in any way reminiscent of Ponty. But I mean, Mad Men itself is clearly influenced by this film. And and uh, so many, I think, corporate satire comedies are influenced by this. And the, the last thing, Robert Morris is still alive, but the last thing that he worked on was Corporate, the Comedy Central series oh. that I think has a clear influence from this film. Mm. Interesting. I'd like to hear him sing something else because like, even the way he sang in this like felt like very uh, affected to me. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, again, I think that's part of the point. But, you know, he's you want to you want to hear him sing something with sincerity, I think, is what you're saying. Let's talk about Bob Fosse, Josh. OK, Bob Fosse, all time great. Who's had a better year than Bob Fosse had in 1973, Josh? He won Best Director for Cabaret. He won Tony's for directing and choreographing Pippin. Anyone Emmys for producing, choreographing and directing Liza with a Z, Liza Minnelli. Like, that's as great a year as you could possibly have. He only made five movies, and um, I, I kind of love him, man. You know? Um, Obviously. Lenny, Lenny's great. You know? Do you ever see Lenny? I haven't seen Lenny, Dustin no. Hoffman? Yeah, Lenny? right. Cabaret, we know. I do love Cabaret. There you go. I mean, Star 80. I like seen. Star 80. We should watch that. All that jazz is incredible. Yeah. You know? And then I think Sweet Charity was his first one, which I haven't seen. I have not either. So, And I don't know how involved. I mean, as you say, he created a lot of the the choreography for the stage version. I don't know if he directly worked on the film or they just adapted that choreography yeah, from the stage. What I had read is they had brought someone else in first. The guy got the credit and like he did not work out at all, but Fosse refused to throw him under the bus. So he took that. But Dave, uh, you, you love uh, dance moves. What's your favorite Bob Fosse invented dance move? I don't have a list uh, at the ready to go. Well, here. you could use turned in knees, the Fosse amoeba, Sideways shuffling, rolled shoulders, or jazz hands. Did I'll he go invent- jazz hands. He invented jazz hands. Yeah, that's what they right. say. Well, I personally go with the Fosse Amoeba. All right. Which I think is. You can't see Jason doing a very embarrassing <laughs> dance move. It might be. <laughs> what's the other one? I don't the know. Another protozoa that does, you know, that we learned about. And- the eel? 
Anil's a protozoan. Oh no, I don't know. I'm just thinking no. of like a dance move. No. All right. All right. That anyway. was that was really useless. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I I you know, we you mentioned David Swift and uh you know to to sort of your point of hating this movie, this was the final theatrical film that he directed. So you deserve uh, it, Swift. You know, he moved in very successful in TV and uh like you said the Lindsay Lohan parent trap was his final credit as a writer. He mostly ended up writing rather than yeah. directing, but this in some way uh, ended his career as a he feature film a, director. I didn't look at this and say, like what we talked about with Geely, right? Where it's like, yeah, Martin Brest, who's this pro who's made some great movies, right? And you're like, how did you direct this? Like, what happened here? I didn't think the directing was bad. I just thought the whole project was bad. Okay. Well, uh, I think we can uh, safely end there unless you have anything else on the legacy you want to mention. I got a lot more. To- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I, I, look, it just. No, not not for me, this one. All right. Well, uh, thanks to everyone who voted to make uh, Jason watch this movie that he hated. Yeah, thanks, you pieces <laughs> of crap. <laughs> that is how to succeed in business without really trying. And that is this episode and this season of Awesome Movie Year. We've said it already, but you can say it again. Check yeah. us out on social media. You should do that and tell me what an idiot I am for not liking this movie. Jason Harris Comedy, Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Go for Jason.com. Screw that website. Uh, we're at AwesomeMovieYear.com, About Section RSS Feed. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. Let us know, man. Let us know. what what Where did I go wrong here, guys? Yeah, or if you voted for something else, uh, let us know why that was a great one that we screwed up and didn't But talk thank about. you for voting. Even yes, though you absolutely. Voted. We always appreciate everyone who voted takes an interest in what we talk about and we hope uh you enjoyed it and get vaccinated yeah okay sure that too um, <laughs> you can check me out and tell me uh how right i was about this film at uh, joshbellhateseverything.com at joshbellhateseverything on facebook and at signal bleed on twitter and listen to our producer david rosen's awesome podcast piecing it together check out piecing it together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at piecing pod and the uh, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces uh, Facebook group. Yes, where a bunch of people voted, and we always appreciate everybody uh, telling us what they think of everything. Absolutely. So uh, we got one more thing for the season. Jason, what do we have in our next We're going to do our epilogue, which we do it every season. We wrap it up. We talk about the movies we did cover, didn't cover, and we preview our next season. Ooh. So tune in next time for our 1967 epilogue. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas. I feel like you today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, that's hard. The worst, worse than I know who killed me or North or. Well, uh, as bad as North. Wow. I'm not going to say worse than I know who killed me. That was that one. Worse than Julie? No, nothing's worse than Julie. That's probably the worst one that we want. Dave, did you have a pick that I hated in one year? The Frighteners, maybe? Yeah, I didn't like the Frighteners. Yeah, you were really down on that one. Yeah, that that's about where I would rank this one. Though. Okay. Yeah, I don't like this movie. Obviously. Well, let's uh, talk more about that. <laughs>